0: What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN One Thousand, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light.
1: Take time to chill. From State Street and the First Midwest Bank Studio, this is WMVP Chicago, ESPN One Thousand. Chicago's home for sports. Go. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.
0: Glad you're with me. Jonathan Hood here on this Friday night. Tomorrow I'll be on in the afternoon for Dickerson and Hood. Right here on ESPN 1000, also all over the country on ESPNradio.com. Hope you check in. If you're driving around, hanging out around the house, check in 3 to 7 tomorrow afternoon right here on ESPN 1000. Got a chance to talk to Bill Barnwell, who covers the NFL for ESPN.com earlier. um, Of course, all of our guests that we have are on the Corona hotline. Uh, I asked Bill Barnwell his thoughts about the Bears this
2: upcoming season. Well, you know, I want to be nice. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but, you know, there's certainly upside here. I think that's fair to say. Well, let's start there on the positive side. I mean, these are two players in Mr. Biscay and Nick Bowles who at their best can be valuable quarterbacks. Mitch, obviously, I think more as a runner, you know, mixing that in and then, you know, a guy who we know is a very good athlete, inconsistent. I think it's fair to say a quarterback, but we've seen, you know, when he gets hot, Mitch, Mitch plays pretty well. So, you know, I I don't think it's out of the question that Mitch Trubisky's career as a Bears quarterback is over just because they, they didn't pick up his fifth year option. And then with Nick Foles, I mean, you know, I had my questions about how much of the price tag they were picking up, why they were giving up a pick. You know, I think in the big picture, when Andy Dalton got granted to go home, but Grant got $3 million without a pick attached, and the Bears gave, I think, about $21 million guaranteed to Nick Foles to uh, come over on a fourth round pick. You have to be pretty confident about Nick Foles being better than Andy Dalton to make that work. And I'm not that confident myself, but, you know, we know Nick Foles was a guy who, you know, can be competent at quarterback for stretches, can be great for stretches. Uh, we, we, we've seen him get really hot for periods of time. And I do think that, you know, he is an upgrade to Trubisky. My big concern with Nick Foles more than anything is health. This is a guy who has consistently struggled to stay healthy over the course of his career when teams have depended upon him as a starter. I mean, you know, last year was sort of a extreme example. He got hurt in the first quarter of the first game of the season. But this is a guy who I think, uh, going back through the start of his career, has not started 10 consecutive games without either being benched or getting injured. So in the big picture my concern, or maybe my expectation, I guess I should say, is that we're still going to see both these guys in 2020, regardless of who wins the competition in training camp.
0: Conversely, just from the Jacksonville standpoint, they get the fourth-round pick for 2020, um, and... It's a whole different conversation, but I'm just I'm just so irate at Jacksonville. How can, how can you be the Miami Marlins, uh, you know, of the National Football League and do this? You can't do this in the NFL, Bill. You just can't strip away quality players in that market and just say, well, you know, they're they're on the precipice of being able to get to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and now mm-hmm. you know Tony Khan is stripping away and Chad Khan and Caldwell stripping away uh, talent. And almost starting over, I can understand like this is baseball, but to do this in the NFL mm-hmm. in this in the modern day,
2: that's crazy to me. Yeah, I think it's tough. You know, I I think that uh it's hard to say how much of the decisions they've made over the past few years was Tom Coughlin, how much was Dave Paulswell, how much is the con family. Of course, you know, when you have everyone in the same building, it's always gonna be a mix of everyone. But we're seeing some of the moves that were made during the Coughlin era kind of get erased now that Tom Coughlin is gone. The McPolles trade, obviously. Uh, it has moved on. There's been, uh, you know, a, a desperate. I think it's fair to say, attempt to trade Leonard Fournette, a former top five pick from this team, uh, and certainly a favorite. It seems like of Tom Coffin, at least when they drafted him, uh, and that has been unsuccessful. They declined his fifth year option as well. Um, you know, I I feel bad for Jaguars fans because that was a really fun team that year, mm-hmm. and they were, you know, they were, they were up on the Patriots in the fourth quarter of the AFC Championship game in Foxborough. If Miles Jack is not incorrectly ruled down they might be in a Super Bowl against Nick Foles. And that could be, you know, they could be a, a Super Bowl champion with that roster. And obviously everything changes if they win that Super Bowl. But um, I'm not a big tanking guy uh, when it comes to football. I don't think it's a very logical plan. I'm not sure if they are tanking per se, but I do think at the end of the day, um, this is a team that sort of, you know, I- I'm surprised that the people who were there for this last rebuild under Gus Bradley uh, and then uh, into the, the Marone era, are sticking around to pick the players for this next rebuild. It doesn't typically happen that way, so um, a bit surprised that Dave Caldwell managed to keep his job, even if Tom Coughlin was uh, let go.
0: Yeah, it's good. It's crazy. Bill Barnwell from ESPN.com, dot com, host of the Bill Barnwell podcast, wherever you download your podcast, joins me, Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN one thousand and the ESPN Chicago app. So, Bill, so do you foresee um, Nick Foles starting for the Bears this upcoming season? Yeah, you know,
2: I, I, I'm. it's hard to say, and here's why, because when I actually think about Blake Bortles a lot when it comes to how the Bears have treated Mitchell Trubisky and Josh Allen with the Bills, where you have these guys who are, you know, marginal starters, you have guys who, uh, you know, I think these teams draft these guys really high in the first round, and then perceive them to be franchise quarterbacks, and then... Sort of there's a confirmation bias. They take everything that's in their favor to prove that there's a franchise quarterback, and they kind of ignore the negatives. The Bears, thankfully, uh, when it came to Ryan Pace, did not follow in the Jaguars' footsteps and picking up Blake Bortles' option. I kept picking up Mitch Trubisky's option, I should say. So, um, you know, I I do think there's still going to be a soft spot for Trubisky. I think the Bears would probably be happier in the big picture if uh, Trubisky did win the job and did play better and was the guy going forward. But I do think at the end of the day, look at what they did. I mean, the the Bears could have waited for Andy Dalton. They could have waited for Cam Newton. Instead, they guaranteed Nick Foles all that money. They did decline Mitch Trubisky's option. I think their actions are saying at this point that they're kind of done and they're ready to move on to Nick Foles. So, you know, if Mitch does win the job, great. I think it's a miracle. I think they'd be be thrilled if Mitch Trubisky turns out to be the guy they were hoping this time last year. But I do think their actions seem to indicate that they're expecting Nick Foles to be their starting quarterback week one.
0: So the other signings that stood out that have Bears fans just up in arms is Jimmy Graham, right? So yeah. we saw Jimmy Graham toward the in, – definitely in the autumn of his career, there's no doubt. We saw him in Green Bay, and that that wasn't the Jimmy Graham that we saw in New Orleans. That's just a, that's just a different guy. And so it's mm-hmm. that, and then the, the commit the draft pick in the second round. And so Bears fans are like, okay, so if you have 10 tight ends in the room, do you have one? <laughs> Oh, and so so that's a bears issue and then the Robert Quinn signing, you believe that the Bears could have been able to get uh, another solid pass rusher but not for so much money for Quinn. How do you weigh the Graham and Quinn signings by the Bears? Let me start with
2: Quinn. So I think he's really interesting because you look at uh, some of the work ESPN does in terms of uh, pack, measuring pass rush the, the pass rush win rate analysis that, that involves that uh, you know the the player tracking data the NFL produces. Robert Quinn tracks out as the best pass rusher in football by those measures. Now, I'm not saying you should pay Robert Quinn like he's the top pass rusher in football, and the Bears are not. And clearly, there was not a market to pay him at that level. But I think he's a guy where, you know, he might be pretty underrated. He might be, you know, a, a top 10, top 12 pass rusher. So, um, you know, I don't know. That's what necessarily What the Bears needed, given that they have Phil Mac as the, or at least at the time was the highest paid uh, edge rusher in football on the other side of the field. I don't think you want to necessarily commit that much to two edge rushers. But I do think Robert Quinn is a really talented football player, and honestly, a pretty underrated football player. So I, you know, I could maybe sort of wonder about spending the money elsewhere. But at the end of the day, I think he's a good player, and I think that's not the worst idea in the world. But Jimmy Graham, you know, it, it's just. I understand being optimistic. I understand hoping to kind of have a guy you can plug in there, whether it's Foles, who love throwing to tight ends in Philadelphia, or Trubisky, who, uh, you know, who did have some kind of connection with Trey Burden that first year before things went south last year. I understand wanting to invest in tight ends. This is an organization that over and over again has said, hey, we don't know what we're doing. They paid uh, they drafted Adam Shaheen in the second round, and that turned out to be disappointing. Of course, injuries are a big part there. They paid Trey Burton like he was a top five tight end when he was, you know, had been the Eagles' number two, number three tight end. That contract didn't work out. They have a lot of money for that Trey Burden deal. Um, the Jimmy Graham contract. I mean, you know, it's one thing if it's I hear from somebody in the league and they say, oh, that's a little surprised by that. That was, I think, every team in the league kind of said, wow, you know, what are we missing here that we didn't give Jimmy Graham that kind of money? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm just, you know, it's hard for me to think that the Bears did that out of much more than just desperation. I understand wanting to address the position, um, but I do wonder if they had known, okay, we're going to be able to get get uh, Cole Komet in the second round, would they go back and, and offer Jimmy Graham that same contract? I, I I can't say there are different sorts of players, but I do think that you know, given how thin, or given how how uh, how unaffected the wide receiver market was this year, how we did see a lot of you know talented whiteouts. You know, signed for marginal money. I I wonder if they've been better off spending money on a wide receiver and you know committing to another tight end elsewhere uh, for much less money, as opposed to giving Jimmy Graham what is really a pretty shocking deal given his lack of blocking ability and given that we really have seen him miss and lose several steps over the past couple of years.
0: Bill, I think I've got it. Okay, Akeem Hicks, uh, Eddie Goldman, Khalil Mack, as you mentioned, Roquan Smith, uh, Robert mm-hmm. Quinn, Kyle Fuller, Eddie Jackson. I got it. The Bears are trying to build the two thousand Ravens. That's <laughs> they're trying to. They, they, I mean, your defense is solid. I mean, it, it was solid before the, the. As you mentioned, the signing you didn't have to. You didn't have to sign Robert Quinn. That defense was already going to be great. Um, mm-hmm. But it just. It's, it's kind of what the tradition has been for Bears football. It has been a strong defense, and sometimes the defense having to do the job for the offense. And this is, this is the imbalance that we've been talking about with this team. So I'll, I'll ask you about the, the Bears versus the, uh, the NFC North because we know the storylines there with the Packers as far as them uh, not going out and get themselves a front-line wide receiver for Aaron Rodgers. Vikings, sure. I thought, had a terrific draft. So how, how do you assess
2: the, the NFC North, what you've seen here in the offseason? I have to admit, I think it's still pretty wide open. Um, You know, I think the Packers, even leaving that wide receiver issue aside, you look at the numbers for the Packers. They are maybe the most likely team in the league to decline in twenty twenty. Not going to be a bad team, I don't think. They're not going to go four and twelve, but wouldn't shock me if they were a you know a nine and seven, a ten and six football team. If they were you know kind of fell back to the pack, uh, not to make a pun, but fell back to sort of the the rest of the teams in the NFC North. The Vikings are a team that traded away Stephon Diggs, one of their best players not rebuilding on defense, but certainly retooling uh, in the secondary on defense. A lot lot of veterans go, kind of had to fix up that cap a little bit. Um, Could see them taking a step backwards again. Lions are a team, by the numbers coincidentally, they're probably one of the most likely teams in the to improve this year. And you figure just getting Matthew Stafford back for you would assume 14, 15, 16 games would be a huge upgrade given that they were winless without Matthew Stafford or quarterback. So, um, you know, this could be a division where anything goes. I, I really do think it could be something like the NFC West last year. We could see a team come out of nowhere and win the division. And the Rams, who I think were everyone's top favorite to win the division, fell off and kind of fell back to the pack. Now, The Bears. I I mean, I think it depends on what you get at quarterback. We know the defense is going to be good. Mm -hmm. We know that um, you know there's talent on offense. This is not a talentless offense by any means. Um, You know, can uh, they get more competent and more consistent quarterback play? Can they get more effective uh, running the football? And can Matt Nagy, a guy who you know I think was seen as an offensive you know mastermind in that first year and really took a lot of criticism, not only from uh, you know, the local media, the national media, but also ex-players, people who are watching on offense, you know, your Kurt Warners, your Dan Orlovskis, guys who, you know, are watching on offense trying to figure out what the, the the concepts are and what the game plan is. Um, if Matt Nagy can kind of get back on track and, you know, whether he was sort of dumbing down that offense for Trubisky, maybe he can open it back up again or make it, you know, sort of tailor it to Nick Foles' strengths as opposed to Trubisky's strengths. And um, it helps to play, but I think, It wouldn't shock me if any of the teams in the NFC North finished in first place at the end of the year.
0: Check out the Bill Barnwell podcast where you download your podcast. Bill Barnwell from ESPN.com. Joining me, Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Schedule came out today, Bill. I'm just wondering, is there a team in particular you're looking forward to seeing this upcoming season that you're intrigued by?
2: Hmm... The easy answer is the Bucks, right? You know, just because, <laughs> yeah. like, who knows what it's going to be? It's Brady and Gronk and all those receivers, Bruce Arians, defense. Defense was quietly really good last year. They look terrible by regular numbers, by advanced metrics. When you account for you know Jameis Winston throwing uh, all those pick sixes and all of those interceptions, they're actually a really good defense by the numbers. So uh, they come. Out, they sent to me as a team that's really interesting. I think the Cardinals, a team that, of course. Such an interesting off season. Isaiah Simmons, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, Kyler Murray kind of hitting his second season. That's a really exciting team to think about. Um, you know, I look at the Chargers, where you know could be Tyrod Taylor, could be Justin Herbert, but a team that we know and they're they're healthy, which is pretty rare to be fair. But when they are healthy, they're a pretty talented football team. And then I think the AFC East because it's always been you know kind of Patriots first and everyone else chasing them, and that's no longer the case. Patriots are in the thick of the division and. Bills are a team that could win 13 games. Josh Allen plays probably. they could win six or seven games. So uh, that division's wide open as well. So I'm a i am I feel like that could be the most interesting division, and then just individual teams popping up here and there could be uh, really fascinating to watch come 2020. You and Mike Clay recently
0: on your on the Bill Barton Well podcast talked about uh, fantasy rookie draft, looking at yep. some of the fantasy players uh, that we'll be definitely taking our keeping our eyes on when the season starts. So I want to get your thoughts on the balance that you look at with the quarterback position bill because like as as someone who watched all of Joe Burrow's games at LSU I was really intrigued by that team because I don't know LSU implemented the forward pass something that we did we don't <laughs> see very often right and so to be able to see the ball go down the field with someone with LSU uniforms like wow they're not run the football a million times actually they have a quarterback and Burrow was great but you know the the yin and yang of this right it's like Burrow was terrific in college, and now he's with Cincinnati. And there will be some that Mm -hmm. say, hey, there's weapons here and there, but there's still a learning curve. Same thing with Tua with with, uh, the Miami Dolphins. Just a devastating injury that he suffered at Alabama, and I felt really bad for Mm -hmm. him. It's a litany of injuries he's suffered, and apparently he's – I guess when the bell rings, he'll be ready to go. Give me the quarterback that really stands out to you most that you're looking forward to seeing here on this next level.
2: Yeah, it's got to be Burrow. I mean, just because – There's there's still a mystery there. I mean, at the end of the day, Joe Burrow was a guy who was, you know, kind of okay in 2018. You know, he he was a, you know, a a typical kind of mid-tier quarterback. And, you know, in the SEC, so he was playing tough competition. But, you know, when you ask scouts or ask people around the league, he kind of was a 6th, 7th-round pick. And then he had the best season in, in college football history out of nowhere. And I wasn't expecting it. You know, I, and, and, you know, he was legit. He played great defenses. He was consistent. He obviously had great receivers, but, you know, he was awesome. He, he was just, he was unflappable against the best uh, competition anyone could have faced. He was dominant. And, you know, he could be a top five quarterback in the NFL from day one. That's not out of the question. Or he could just be off Luke Gear. You know, he could really be really struggling. And then I look at that team. There are weapons there. And like you said, I mean, AJ Green, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, mm-hmm. um, you know, John Ross is your fourth receiver, that's pretty good when it comes to the wideouts. Uh, I thought Zach Taylor, you know, did some interesting stuff early in the year, but that offensive line was a disaster. So many guys got hurt. Uh they're getting Jonah Williams back, to their Alabama first round pick at tackle. Um, so if they can't protect Joe Burrow, I like think we're gonna see, you know, a mix of games where he's awesome and a mix of games where he's getting beat up. Uh, because they can't protect him. And I think it's going to be a mix of that in this rookie season, but anything's possible. I mean, you know, would it be shocking? Would it be the craziest thing in the world if, you know, the Bengals replaced uh, Ryan Finley and Andy Dalton with Joe Burrow and made a playoff run because they had, you know, suddenly a superstar quarterback, sort of similar to maybe that Colts team when they got Andrew Luck that first year? No, wouldn't shock me at all. So, you know, I, I, I'm excited because I think the the ceiling for Joe Burrow is one of the best quarterbacks in football and um you know it's always exciting to see a team that's kind of been struggling for a few years pop up and get one of those guys and move forward with a you know a, a franchise altering player at quarterback.
0: That's interesting you mentioned him. So you believe that Burrow has more in Cincinnati than Tua would have in Miami as far as uh as far as as talent around him.
2: I do, yeah. I mean I think about okay. the Dolphins this offseason You know, they added offensive linemen in the draft. I think that's going to help. They signed Eric Flowers and Ted Karras. They added a ton of offensive line depth um, and some possible stars, Boston Jackson, Robert Hunt, um, and, and I guess it's Flowers as well, but they really didn't address the receiving core. I mean, it's Devontae Parker, Alan Hearns, Albert Wilson, Max Hollins, Gary Jennings, Mike Kosicki. I mean, they did sign Jordan Howard to a very questionable contract. Mm -hmm. They traded for Matt Breida, who's a, you know, going to be the boomer bust back for them, but, they did not really add that receiver I was expecting for uh, for Tua tunga Vailoa. So, So, you know, I, Devontae Parker played really well last year, but that was one year and missed, you know, five or six years of him being very frustrating and very difficult to uh kind of get on the field and play well week to week. So I, I think we're going to be sitting here next year saying Joe Burrow and the Bengals need to add an offensive lineman to help that offensive line. And I think we're going to be sitting here saying that the Dolphins need to add receiving talent for to a Tango-Vailoa in 2021.
0: Bill, lastly, and I appreciate your time, what does your gut tell you about the season starting on time? We see all these schedules in front of us, but we don't know mm-hmm. the actual dates. What, what do you think?
2: Skeptical. I mean, you know, I I would love if it did happen. I, I would love, obviously, but I think it has to be the, the bigger picture has to be right. You know, I don't want the games to happen just so we can have games. I want there to be, healthy people. I want there to be, you know, a safe opportunity for players to be able to play without, you know, having the proper testing, having the right people around them. And the reality is, even if the season does start on time, there's no guarantee it's going to end the way we expect. I mean, you know, there could be another, uh, you know, another rush of the coronavirus. Um, We could see players get a test positive, and then that could stop the league temporarily. Um, It could suspend operations for the time being. I mean, there's so many different ways it could go. Um, You know, I, I, I think that the NFL's goal at the end of the day is to start games on time, and I like to believe it's going to happen. But I think we're going to have to see what other leagues do. I mean, we're going to have to see what happens with baseball, what happens with basketball and hockey, and then with uh, soccer leagues overseas. And um, you know, whether those leagues are able to start a season or restart their season, and you know, get able to keep things up week after week with testing and with player testing negatively, uh, you know. And, and I think it's going to be different. It's not going to be what we usually expect. I don't think there's going to be fans there either way, but. You know, I do think I' didn't know they were going to have something resembling a season. I'm just not sure if it's going to be you know the full sixteen game affair as we typically would expect
0: Bill, I'm glad you uh, spent some time with us here in Chicago. I think some bears fans feel better after our conversation. They feel they feel <laughs> like if Foles can stay healthy. I think that's what we got out of this. If Foles can stay healthy, there's a great possibility for the bears as 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 a playoff team maybe that's what it sounds like.
2: Hey, I mean they were eight and eight last year. Yeah. You know, granted, the, the the mood was negative, no one was feeling good about that Bears team, but if they're if their downside, their ugly, awful, you know, disaster season was eight and eight, that's not all that bad. You know, a lot of teams I'm a I grew up as a Giants fan. Giants fans be pretty thrilled about eight and eight right now. So I can tell you that, you know, you can get better quarterback play, that defense is legit, you could see a playoff team. It's hardly out of the question that we could see the Bears in the postseason, uh, when it comes to January.
1: This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.
3: You're listening to Under the Hood.
1: Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere. 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 Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.
0: Looking forward to the baseball show That will debut on the 6th of July. We will start our show at 6 o'clock every night. So if you're a Cubs fan, Sox fan, Major League Baseball fan, make sure you check in with me as I lead you through the shortened baseball season. At least we do have a season. It's going to be 60 games, but I will be the host of the baseball show. Looking forward to that. Starting on the 6th of July, starting at 6 p.m. right after Waddle and Sylvia right here on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. So glad that you are with me. We're going to hear from Dave McMiniman, who covers the NBA and the Lakers for ESPN.com in a little bit. Um want to talk a little bit about the White Sox. As a White Sox fan, I will tell you that the this uh, shortened season with young players, it's hard to... Determine from veteran teams, young teams, teams in the middle of exactly what you have in a 60-game season. Look, baseball is built for 162 games. Is 162 games too much? Yeah, it is. It's a lot. And I really believe that baseball should try to modernize the sport at some some point. You know, what we're seeing here with the shortened season, there's going to be a few rule changes that they will experiment with. Like, we're not going to get 16-inning games, looks like this, uh, go around here in 2020. Um, The the pitching will be a little bit different coming out of the bullpen, where you're not going to have a specialized bullpen guy for just a third of an inning. He's got to see two or three batters when he's up there. So there's some changes there that Major League Baseball will have to implement. I really believe that that is important to be able to change with the times the type of audience that was watching baseball when i was growing up in the 80s is different from the audience in 2020 when you're trying to uh, have the game more modern appealing across the board you don't have your sport uh, in place just to be able to appease 40 and 50 year olds nascar in that same way the median age for NASCAR fans is 55 years old. Now, I guess there's nothing wrong with being you know, a baby boomer or Gen Xer and watching uh, NASCAR or watching Major League Baseball. But it just can't die right there. like you've got to be able to keep the sport viable for other ages to watch so the sport can grow. Major League Baseball has been very comfortable in the way that they've been going about their business for a long time. And you see it's kind of slipping off the pages, especially during this pandemic where the owners and the players cannot come together and figure out something. So the point is, is that when I look at the Cubs and I look at the White Sox, whatever happens, it's going to be hard to evaluate exactly what you have because it's just a sample size. It's not even 81 games. It's 60 games plus whatever playoffs that we may see. But for the White Sox, remember who they are, right? The Sox have not been in the playoffs since 2008 under Ozzie Guillen. Had to go through the post-championship years with Guillen into sleepy Robin Ventura on the bench to Rick Renneria now. It's going to be his... Fourth season with the White Sox in this shortened season. Again, there's a lot of growing pains with Renteria. Ninety-five losses, a hundred losses, eighty-nine losses, and now this was supposed to be the season where you see a little bit of a turn, right? You go from seventy-two wins to maybe plus ten in that margin, maybe eighty-two, somewhere like that, because you do have some young players that you're depending on to be able to grow. Funny thing about baseball. Baseball is so slow and in so many games that you're not looking for the immediacy, the growth spurt quickly like you do in the NFL because it's only 16 games. Baseball does go at their own pace where they are patient enough to wait for players to develop and for everyone to develop at the same time and then win a World Series or knock on the door of a World Series. Uh, But for this, for Rick Ranerea, I really thought this was going to be make or break for him, but I kind of feel like whatever happens in this season, Rick still might be around in the next season in 2021. Who knows? But Rick, uh, Rick Hahn, uh, the general manager for the White Sox was on whitesox.com talking about a number of things, including how this year is a transition year from rebuild to contender.
3: We're obviously very excited here to, to get started in the coming days. Uh, I think the, primary goal for all of us is to uh build off the momentum and the good feeling and the excitement that we had in in Glendale those of you who were able to be down there and experience firsthand what uh, uh what we were building and the way that team was coming together we were in a really good place now, obviously uh real life got in the way uh but as we ramp back up here in the coming days we we're uh we're very excited to try to pick up where we left off and continue to build on that momentum. I'm of the mindset and have been of the mindset that what we're building here is is a multi-year project. It's a multi-year endeavor. This was going to be sort of that first year of transitioning from the rebuild into that competitiveness stage. Uh, so it was extremely important from our perspective to get these guys out there and competing. Uh, we obviously have a young club uh, team that's only going to grow and, and benefit from playing experience during the regular season and hopefully the postseason. So getting a taste of that this season was uh, of the utmost importance. So we're, we're excited about that. We're excited about the idea that this team's going to have the opportunity to start on what we view as a, a multi-year path towards championships.
0: So Rick Hahn with his thoughts uh, on the Chicago White Sox. Lucas Giolito is supposed to be one of the big guns for this white Sox team for the near future remember last year 14 and 9 record with a sub 4 era and 10 and 13 in 2018 we saw the change yes four more wins but the point is is though that you saw uh, a turning of a corner i thought from giolito now a healthy giolito what does that look like for 2020 some thoughts now from giolito as far as how he agrees what we just heard from han and his assessment of the season
4: definitely agree with Rick there uh, for me the development never stops like you know I have two years I have two full seasons in the big leagues I am not even close to where I want to be as like a complete product I guess you could say as a pitcher I don't think I ever will be I'm always gonna be trying to develop something always gonna be trying to work on something until the day I retire Um, so I mean it I for me it's like any given season you're going to have everybody trying to develop better skills, especially younger players that are, you know, new to the experience, um, you know, not used to how a big league season works. Obviously, this is going to be a lot different than a normal big league season for for some of these guys. But at the same time, we are showing up to the field ready to compete every single day. Um, That is a a transition from the minor leagues, where yes, you're competing, but it's about development. This is winning first and development second. I guess you could say, Um, you know, we want everybody to be to to get better and better uh, and and hone in their skill set for the future. But at the same time, um, it. Why Why even play if you're not there to win?
0: The Chicago White Sox, how about that? I'm going to guess that's just the reverberation of the Zoom call instead of, like, Rick Hahn with the kazoo in the background. I'm not sure.
1: Yes, it was. <laughs> okay. I'm going sure. to imagine Rick in the background playing <laughs> that. <laughs>
0: I'm just going to guess. Like, I don't know for sure because I wasn't there. I didn't see this. I'm just listening to the sound. But it sounds like there was Han with a, a kazoo uh, in the background every time Giolito took a breath. I don't know what happened there, but it sounds like the socks are loose for 2020. Yeah, I don't know.
1: multiple Zoom calls because uh,
4: the media was on Zoom calls as well. So, yeah, yeah so I just know. had back and crazy kazoo sounds all over the place.
0: I got the point. I just thought that the kazoo point, uh, the, the kazoo sound, was interesting, along with those uh, poignant comments from Han and Giolito. <laughs> By the way, we're going to hear from Dave McMiniman, who covers the NBA, in a moment. Just want to point out that with the kind of the new look schedule for the NBA, the Pelicans have the easiest schedule. And again, this is all relative to me. I I can't get wrapped up on these numbers because I don't know what a lot of these teams are going to look like, but just on the surface, from one loss record standpoint, from where they left off to where we're going to see now with the new schedule, the Pelicans have the easiest schedule, followed by the Sixers, the Celtics, and the Pacers. Um, So it'll be interesting to see the hardest. uh, The Miami Heat the Toronto Raptors Denver Nuggets those are the top three teams that have a tougher schedule than they had um, uh, when everything stopped so Pelicans interesting the cold envelope goes to the Pelicans I tell you they want Zion to succeed uh, in this uh, remainder of this season maybe the playoffs with the Pelicans we'll see here when the NBA gets underway more on the NBA with Dave McMinneman next on UTH
1: This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 Chicago Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood.
0: Tomorrow I will be on Dickerson and Hood. Our show airs Saturday afternoons at 3 right here on ESPN 1000 and all over the country on ESPN Radio. Hopefully, you get a chance to hear the show three to seven tomorrow. If you're driving around or at home, eat a little sports talk. Oh, we got a lot of sports talk. Four hours uh, tomorrow, Dickerson Hood three to seven in the afternoon, right here on ESPN 1000 and all over the country on Sirius XM Channel 80, as well as ESPN Radio. Uh, if you are following me on Snapchat, I've seen some of you guys on Snapchat. SnapJ Hood. Uh, if you follow me on Snapchat, I will follow you back, guaranteed. Uh, also on Instagram, IG, uh, Hood. So the NBA will be returning in July. Boy, we're going to have we haven't had sports. But we're going to have a lot more sports in July that we're going to be covering here. I know that we've had to be patient. With uh, without sports for a while here you know you got a little boxing here a little UFC, a little uh, pro wrestling there, um, some international soccer but here comes the NBA here comes the NHL, here comes Major League Baseball, July moving forward is going to be very interesting especially the NBA um, Freddie Coleman and I got a chance to talk to Dave McMiniman, uh, who covers the NBA like a blanket for ESPN.com and we asked Dave someone who has has that national presence with the NBA, what his expectations are for the NBA when it returns.
5: You know, it reminds me of the great American philosopher, Mike Tyson. And he said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the the mouth. And that's what I feel like this is going on with the NBA right here, where there is a plan and there is many contingencies and they had many bright minds tackling any type of scenario they could come up with. But until the league is faced with the reality of a player or a batch of players or a team or something even more pervasive, um, you know, a, a, a significant percentage of the league coming down with the coronavirus, the, the, the plan is, is kind of irrelevant. Um, because they are already speaking in terms of, we expect there to be positive tests. Well, when the positive tests occur, is everyone to stay calm and cool and want to move forward with it, uh, or will they decide that, okay, this is, um, this is more dire than we had planned for
0: Dave, before the league stopped, what stood out most about LeBron and Anthony Davis leading the Lakers?
5: Yeah, Jonathan, I think it was this easy chemistry that their games lended each other to. Uh, you know, the spacing, for instance, they're occupying different places on the floor where they can be most effective. Uh, the really selfless nature of Anthony Davis, where, you know, the thing that gets him the most fired up is the team's defensive performance not living up to what they should be. It's, he's never complained about touches. He's never complaining about, you know, what his scoring average looks like. I complain about minutes. I mean, what gets Anthony Davis fired up is the team looking lacking physical on defense. And quite frankly, that had been such a pleasant surprise to LeBron's resurgence season, not just coming back from a Gorn injury, not just doing something that we're going to talk about when his career is all over years from now and look back that, hey, remember when LeBron was 35 in year 17 and he changed positions to point guard and led the league in assists? Like, that was crazy. Uh, but the maybe more beneficial partnership is the fact that LeBron's defense was significantly better than any regular season defense I've seen LeBron play in the last five years. And and that's a, a big testament not only to LeBron's work to get his body right after the groin injury, but wanting to fulfill the desires of Anthony Davis because Anthony Davis requires that of his teammates. So it was an easy partnership. It was two guys who got the Lakers playing their best basketball of the season in mid-March when everything came to a halt, and two guys who you know have been working behind the scenes to keep their team motivated uh, in the three-month layoff uh, it's a, so that they can hopefully pick up, Uh, on some level where they left off. We know that a lot of the conversation, and especially when it comes to LeBron James and Anthony Davis and the Lakers, who's going to be there in Orlando, who's not going to be there in Orlando. Kyrie Irving, he said his piece. Dwight Howard, he said his piece. Avery Bradley, he said his piece. But what sense do you get from any player or coach that you've talked to about the list of people that could not play compared to the list of people, including superstars, that are going to play next month? I don't think there's any really comparison between two in terms of percentages. I think you'll, you will see the vast majority of uh, the, the players on those 22 teams that are being invited to Orlando to participate. Uh, there will be players that won't go for, for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, you've already seen players like LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, Boyan Bondanovic, uh, Kelly Oubre elected to have surgery. On things that that maybe in a regular season that didn't have this hiatus, that didn't have the relocation, they would have fought through, and scheduled that in the off season. Um, But by having uh, taking care of these injuries, they are removing themselves from all the uncertainty involved with that bubble. Uh, You're also going to see teams have the ability to designate a player as protected, and this is along the same lines we were just getting at. This is a team can decide that you know what, you are going to be a risk to yourself to go down there, maybe because of a pre-existing condition. And there's going to be an independent panel that will, you know, if, if a player says, you know, I don't agree with that, I don't want to be protected, I want to go play, despite you trying to, to keep me out of there. Well, that, once that independent panel makes their determination, they have 72 hours to review all, all the information, that's final, binding, and unappealable um and so that could keep some people out and then finally of course uh, you know th- this player coalition that we've heard about kyrie irving and Avery bradley dwight howard etc that could keep some players out as well because they just don't feel like it's an appropriate time to going to play basketball to entertain the masses as a black man when uh, it- it's so clear the injustice that's facing black and brown people in this country um, but if you add up all three of those scenarios I just presented to you, I, I still think it's going to be a, a relatively small percentage. And you, you will get a fair representation of, of what NBA basketball is about in Orlando. Um, and thus, it will legitimize whatever playoff scenario that they have, where whoever wins, uh, barring, of course, uh, some, some spread of COVID-19 that we all hope doesn't happen, but whoever wins should be a legitimate NBA champion.
0: Dave, what's uh, Kyrie Irving like? I mean, his his uh, thoughts trying to go full Vince McMahon, trying to start his own league is just uh, a little <laughs> bit odd. That's it's something that I don't think any of us ex- expected. What, what's Kyrie Irving like? He just seems like he's beats to a different drummer.
5: Yeah, that's a good way to describe it, Jonathan. I, I cover him for three seasons, day in, day out. And, you know, there were days where I felt like, okay, we, um, we're making a connection here. You know, I, I talked to him about how it, I, I, I played pickup basketball with his father in the summertime at a at a, a fantasy camp and you know, we had a really nice conversation we'd talk about, you know, his experience with A C C basketball. I went to Syracuse, he went to Duke and you know. And then there were other days where, you know, there's not all that much media around. We're in some city around the country, Utah or whatever, and, and you're asking a question I feel like you're pulling teeth and it's not even a difficult question to answer. It's not like a you know, a gotcha question or it's not even a negative question. Um, he's he's just he's unlike pretty much ninety nine percent of the guys I've ever covered in this league, and um, he's a free thinker. I mean, you've already said he already said years ago uh, uh, where he would like to perhaps rep- retire early and take his money and and you know buy a plot of land somewhere and kind of have his own community um, and be removed from society as we know it. Uh, that's kind of jives with the same idea. I was like, I'm going to go take my basketball and go find a gym somewhere and start my own league. It's the same type Hmm. of parallel thinking being, you know, expressing that the way things are currently structured for him, he feels like there's a better way. Um, And and that's the emotion that, you know, I think I I can connect to, Uh, you know, and, and sometimes, like, I think this is how progress gets made. You need someone to be extreme, uh, perhaps, and, and push ideas as far as they can go. And then someone perhaps follow after that and, and say, okay, here's these ideas, and I'm going to add, like, the practical sense to it. And, you know, you kind of split in the middle, and that you actually did make progress towards where those extreme ideas were headed. And that's where I feel like Avery Bradley, and I don't, I've only covered him for one season so far, but I think Avery Bradley being someone on the player coalition alongside Kyrie provides perhaps a more um, you know, even-keel approach to getting what they ultimately want, which is better treatment of black people in this country. We've heard from Kyrie Irving, and he's been strong with his voice. Dwight Howard tonight released this statement. Many of our fellow players are afraid to voice their concerns and are continuing to follow along with what they believe they have to, end quote. But yet the one guy we haven't heard from in terms of either on social media or with his voice has been LeBron James. Why has that been the case in your opinion? Well, you know, I think because, one, um, before Memorial Day happened, he was strident in putting his opinion out there that, Resuming the NBA season would be important to him. And um, he even went so far as when there was a report out there from um, CNBC's Jabari Young saying that there are some executives and agents out there that want to cancel the season. LeBron was all over that, saying, you know, no one i was speaking to wants to cancel anything. As soon as things, uh, you know, get, more uh, safe in this country and we develop a plan, let's go play. Um, but since Memorial Day, you know, his focus has shifted to using his platform to shed light on the inequity and, and just the horrific uh, circumstances facing his people in this country. And that's, you know, he didn't release a statement about more than a vote that he's putting together but he certainly had people he worked with work with media so that we could get the story out there and explain to people what the goal of that is. Uh, And uh, he's continued, you know, for a guy with 66 million Instagram followers, um, you know, you recognize just how many people that can reach. And when he decides to share an image of the Minneapolis police officer kneeling on George Floyd's neck, neck, Spliced directly beside Colin Kaepernick kneeling, um, that might not be LeBron speaking into a camera, but that's saying just as much, if not more, um, by choosing his platform to share that image to try to burn into people's heads just how messed up these times are. And, um, you know, quite frankly, you know, the, the people within the Lakers organization, they know he's committed to playing basketball. Um, I don't think he really owes the public a statement about playing basketball at this, at this time.
0: The plan of 22 teams versus 16, I always thought that starting off in the playoffs, just in case there's another rise of this COVID-19, was a smarter idea. But it seems as though that um, Silver in the NBA wants to have a little bit more star power. Which side do you fall on, more teams or the 16 teams that would be available for the playoffs?
5: I, you know at I, I think this plan was trying to do as, as much as they could to appease a lot of cooks in the kitchen while also building in this 88 game ramp up to the playoffs, which will recoup a bunch of money that would have been lost. And so I don't want to be counting other people's wallets, but if you made health your number one priority while also, you know, priority 1A being crowning a legitimate champion it should only have been 16 teams uh, it's it's ridiculous that they would elongate the process by adding six more teams and you know perhaps they're responsible to add all those extra bodies uh, down there because every single person could be the carrier carrier that spreads it throughout the rest of the campus and so um, I, I understand why they did it um, but you know I, I hope that It'll prove worth it in the end to expand it to twenty-two versus sixteen, and and, and nothing, you know, nothing happens where where anybody's health is affected uh, in the pursuit of more money.
0: Dave McMiniman, terrific on the NBA beat, uh, talking to us about the league. Thanks so much for listening and being part of the program right here on ESPN One Thousand. Our thanks to uh, Barnwell and McMiniman, Sean Davis on the other side of the glass. Join me tomorrow between 3 and 7 for Dickerson and Hood. If not, a little vacation. And then I'll come back to you on the 6th of July for our baseball show. And, of course, Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Check out the podcast. Wherever you download your podcast, look for ESPN Chicago. And look for our show, Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood.
1: This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Got some pod time? Binge listen to great ESPN 1000 interviews. It's all on demand through the all new ESPN Chicago app.